man, David, seeing so much in, in how God moves you from a pasture to a palace. Amen. It's amazing how we've seen how God will take you from serving cheese to slaying giants. Amen. And uh, there's a path. Uh, Mr. Nick said it perfectly. Just enjoy the process. I just just get me in the process. Amen. Because the process is what gets me to progress. And um, I don't know about you, but I want to embrace the process. I think there's a basketball team that the last couple years they've got a slogan: "Trust the process." Trust. You got to trust the process. If the people, if people in the world can can gather this element, why can't the church? Amen. Why, why have we gotten so bottled up with overnight? I believed I prayed. Now, God, where's my miracle? Where's my blessing? Where's my purpose? Where's my vision? You gave me you spoke this to me when I was a child. You spoke this to me in that revival service. You showed this to me. You said I was going to do this. Now, where is it? And there's a process to getting from the pasture to the palace. And we've already seen so much. One thing I do want to highlight tonight is that the pathway, uh, the, the, the pathway to purpose always goes through the gateway of service. The pathway to purpose always goes through the gateway of service. If you don't want to serve, if you don't want to learn how to serve uh, and, and you're just in it to be served, uh, then you are going to compromise your purpose. You're going to compromise your value. You're going to compromise the vision that God has given you. And so we've got to recognize that this component, this element of serving is so vital if we want to see uh, what God is going to do in our lives. Amen. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Last week, we started uh, jumping over talking about the perspective of purpose, the perspective of purpose. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, uh, again, we're seeing uh, basically where David now begins to take his charge before Goliath. And so we're taking a look at this element that what you experience in life is not necessarily reality. It's your perception of reality. I'll say that again. What we experience in life is not necessarily reality, but it's your perception of reality. It's amazing that God, I think we said this on Sunday, that um, God, whatever news you get, he leaves the report up to you. Whatever news you get, he leaves the report. That's your version of the story. Everybody knows that there's, there's a version of the story, right? There's your version, and there's my version, and then there's the truth, and, you know, uh, there, there's always a version. There's always a perspective, and God leaves the perspective up to you. Isn't that interesting? Even his word, even his word. Many of us don't experience the true reality and the true presence and the true blessings of God's word. Why? Because of the skewed perspective of the word. Where one believes uh, that, that Jesus, when he took those stripes on his back, gave us victory and freedom from all sickness and disease. Others may believe that God puts sickness on you to teach you something and that we should just uh, uh, allow it to run its course in our body and try to ask God, uh, uh, okay, what are you trying to do in my life? And so we can have skewed different perspectives, even contradicting perspectives off of the same verse, the same book. It's amazing that God in all of his sovereignty and all of his power and, and, and all of his uh, royalty would leave that up to us. He would leave that aspect up to us. And so perspective is our responsibility. Reality is not your responsibility. You don't have control over the situation, but you do have control over how you respond to the situation. But your response will always be limited by your perspective. You can never respond to a situation beyond your perspective. You will never respond to a situation beyond the level of perspective that you have of the situation. And so we're recognizing there's a value for perspective and people with purpose have a different perspective. People with purpose, we said this last week, don't see something different. 
they see something differently. That's huge. That's huge. I don't have to see something different in my life, but I just need to see it differently. I need to see it in a different light. I need to see what is God really trying to do. I need to see how can I learn from this. And so what we saw here, beginning with verse uh, 23, I believe it was, is where we jumped in. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brother. So he's running towards the action now. He's running towards the trouble, towards the trial, towards the struggle. And then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. What were those same words? Words of defiance and and words of conquer and words of of victory over the Israelite army and, and mocking them, and not just mocking them, but mocking their God as well. And so he hears these words. So David heard them, verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, When they saw the man, they saw with different eyes. They didn't see something that David didn't see. They were looking at the same giant. But notice it's their perspective that dictates their response. Reality does not dictate your response. And you have to quit living by reality. Just because they treated you that way doesn't mean that that's the reality. Just because uh, 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 everything seems to be falling apart, that doesn't have to be your reality. You need to learn to live by allowing your response to be dictated by a perspective. Okay, whoa, this just happened. But what really just happened? Because when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. Jump on down to verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Uh, And takes away the reproach from Israel for who is this uncircumcised feeling Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. We see right there that David recognizes they're not this enemy is not coming against us. It's coming against ultimately God. This challenge isn't ultimately see people with purpose recognize that it's not personal. It's purposeful. There's a difference. You learn you don't take things personal when people attack. You don't take things personal when when things fall through the cracks. You don't take it personal. You recognize it's purposeful. And people with purpose recognize that everything is purposeful. The good and the bad is purposeful. The ups and the downs are purposeful. The highs and the lows. The, the, The mountaintops and the valleys. It's all purposeful when you have that kind of perspective. That's what perspective does. Perspective helps you step back and say, what's the big picture? Because we could all get targeted. We could all get honed in on what is specifically happening. But, but people with purpose say, whoa, whoa, my purpose is under attack. Not just me, but my purpose. And your purpose demands a different response than taking it personal. See, if you take it personally, you can respond in such a way. These men took it personal, but they fled in fear. They went backwards. The army's retreating. Why? Because they don't have the right perspective. All they saw was a giant coming against us. But David doesn't, he sees the giant. He doesn't see something different, but he sees it differently. He says, who should defy the armies of? He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I belong to something. I may be smaller than Goliath, but I belong to something that's bigger than Goliath. Hello. Not one of these men stood up and spoke that. Not one of these men said he's coming against the armies of God. He's attacking God. That's ultimately what David is saying. When he says, who is this Philistine that would defy the armies of the living God? Ultimately, he's saying, you're defying God because I'm of God. When you remember who you belong to, then you recognize it doesn't stop with me. Wait a minute. You can challenge me. You can can come against me. But... 
no weapon formed against me doesn't say the weapon won't be formed. It just says no weapon formed against the enemy will try. He will do his best. He will pull out all the stops. Why? Because he wants to stop your purpose, not just you, but your purpose. But you when you remember what you belong to, he can't overcome that. That's why he tries to trick you out of that. Child of God. Do you remember what you did last week? Child of God. You remember what last night was all about? Is that how a child? And so he starts bringing that condemnation. Why? Because you can't live above condemnation. You can't live. If the enemy can't, see, if the enemy can't destroy you, he will sure distract you. If he can't destroy you, he'll try to distract you. He can't stop the the Israelites. He can't stop the armies of the living God unless he tricks them into being something that they're not. So not one, not one individual, not one person with a sword, with a shield, with, with, with weapons, with a bow staff. Maybe Napoleon Dynamite's out there with his bow staff. I got a few people, got a couple. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Everybody else is like, Napoleon Dynamite. It's 15 years ago, guys. I'm trying to bring it back. Not one of them rose up to challenge Goliath until David shows up. We said this, that people with purpose will always trump people with skill. People with purpose will always trump people with skill. All the training, all the skill... All the preparation will never override discovering your purpose. Thank God for training and thank God we can be developed and thank God we can grow and we can learn. But never allow that to be a substitute for purpose. Because sometimes what will happen is we'll become very good at the very thing God never intended us for us to do. And we'll trust in our skill rather than our purpose. So we, ha- we can't allow ourselves to become so developed and, and so skillful because God will bring a shepherd boy, will bring someone that doesn't belong there. You could call this the, see, see one perspective is he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And another perspective is he's in the right place at the right time. It's all in how you see it. So we recognize that training and skill will never override living by purpose. David says, who has come to defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, verse 27, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Purpose, we should never limit our purpose to purposeless people, visionless people. People, don't ever dumb down your vision to the, the level of those that doubt you. See, when, when, you, when you decide to live by purpose, you've got to be intentional about that because not everybody's going to agree with it. Ask Joseph. I had a dream last night, guys. Man, you're not going to believe it. All you guys. They were bowing down to me. You too, Dad. Isn't that awesome? Get this boy out of here. Yeah. A lot of times, the ones closest to you will struggle the hardest with what, with what God has spoken over you. The, the more people know about you, the harder it is for them to swallow the purpose that God has given you. Because your purpose will usually directly contradict where you come from and what you have done. 
And so people, people that don't know you, no problem. They don't know your past. They don't know your history. They don't know all you've been through. They don't know uh, uh, what you don't have. They don't know the qualifications. Can, can we just do this tonight with everyone that's in the room? Can we just do this? Can we resolve to be the close person that will encourage someone when they share their purpose with us and not doubt them? Can we just, everybody in this room, whether it's your wife, whether it's your kids, whether it's your parents, whether it's your brother or your sister, whether it's your best friend from high school that just kept blowing it and screwing up and and messing up. But when God gets a hold of them, please do not be the one that says, are you sure? Let's just let's just resolve that we will be the one that's close to them, that will stay close to them when God reveals their plan and their purpose to their life. Because we need that. We need that. When, when, when we took this step out to, to come to, to Valdosta, it was the people that we thought were in our corner that were the ones asking us are you sure and and you don't have enough money and and, and you just you you, you've got an eight-month-old and 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 all this everyone has their own opinions and their own ideas and and even will selfishly think about how this affects me how your vision affects me i thought you would be happy for me this, is, this has been my childhood dream. Since I was four years old, I saw myself pastoring. And now the very people that I thought were supporting me all the way, they even supported me financially. They, they helped me move. And now all of a sudden, my vision compromises them a little bit. And all of a sudden, they're not with me anymore. Hmm. Yeah. When you... Start speaking the purpose that God has given you. Sometimes it's the ones that are closest to you. Now, this is what I want to pull out today. Look at verse 29. He says, and David said, what have I done now? He's responding to his brother. Is there not a cause? That's purpose. That's mission. He wasn't going to allow his purpose to be compromised by a personal response. What I think is interesting in this verse is not what necessarily what David said. That's what we would expect. It's what David didn't say. And my first point for you tonight is people with purpose live with restraint. People with purpose live with restraint. The Bible tells us that without vision, people perish. Now, I always thought that that word perish just meant die, cease to exist. But if you look it up, that word perish actually means to cast off restraint. That blew my mind when I saw that. Because all of a sudden I started thinking to all the moments in my life. Where I wasn't living with vision and I was making decisions in the moment that compromised my future. Because that's what people without vision do. So when we have a perspective, when purpose changes our perspective, all of a sudden it starts to restrict. And here's the thing. I know what we start thinking about in church when we hear restrict and restraint. Uh, We start thinking chains and bondage and all the stuff I can't do. But people with purpose, people with vision don't see it that way because it's a different perspective. They see the restraints as freedom. They see the restraints as the very thing that liberates them and sets them free. Because I'll tell you, if you've got an athlete, they live with restraint in their lives. Not because they don't like to eat certain things and not because they enjoy waking up at four o'clock in the morning to to spend two hours in a gym. Not because they enjoy two a days in the heat of the afternoon. Not because uh, they just they just love running the same drill over and over and over and over and over. Not because they enjoy those things, but because they allow those things to restrain them in the moment so that their freedom, their, their future can be set free. So when you live with a different perspective, when purpose gives you a different perspective, all of a sudden it starts restricting, saying, 
well, I'm not going to do that. I told you before that this moment was David's giant. If he responds inaccurately here, he never makes it to Goliath. See, Jesus took up a cross way before he put the before he took up the cross. Jesus took up his cross in the garden when he said, not my will, but your will. That was his battle. See, all of us have a battle before the battle. All of us. There's a battle. There's something you're believing for. There's something you're going after. And you see that as the challenge. You see that as a giant. But there will come a time where you'll need to be tested before you ever get onto that field. Before you ever get before Goliath, you will ha- God will find a way to test and say, do you qualify to even be out there with that? Because if you can't overcome with your brother, you're not going to overcome with a giant. This is the test right here. This is the battle. And he has a perspective that restrains his response. He goes straight to purpose. He doesn't make it personal. Because I know I sure would have. Excuse me? You saw the oil on my head. You were there. You watched the prophet anoint me. This is it, man. I'm going straight to the palace after this. I I mean, I would have pulled out all the stops. And you would too, so don't leave me up here all by myself. Thank you for that encouragement. I mean, look, uh, Eliab is checking his pride. I know your pride and the insolence. Pride? Who just brought you cheese, bro? Are you serious? What are you talking about pride? The anointed future king of Israel just brought a cart out here full of cheese and bread for you. Because dad said so. Talk about pride. I mean, I would, have, I would have had all kinds of responses. And the insolence of your heart. He says, for you have come down to see the battle. He says, I have a cart full of cheese that says otherwise. I didn't come to see a battle. I came to bring you food. Thank you very much. But he doesn't say any of that. He says, what have I done? Is there not a cause? And then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. Is there not a cause? I mean, he's just looking around all of these motionless, fearful military men and says, is there not a cause? Is there not a Why? Because they don't know the cause. They're probably all going, there is not a cause. <laughs> he's saying, is there not a cause? And he's, they're all saying, I don't know what that is. Why? Because they're following a visionless leader named King Saul. King Saul has no vision. I mean, it, it blows my mind why King Saul wasn't the one out here charging Goliath. I mean, he's an anointed king. He's the leader of the people, right? A real leader is out in front of the army, not behind them, giving orders, saying, yeah, go, go take care of them. I mean, he has to run down and be taken to King Saul. King Saul's not on the front lines where kings are supposed to be. He's, he's, not, he's not out there. He, he's as far back as he possibly can. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord has left him at this point. The last chapter, or two chapters past in, in chapter 15, uh, the prophet Samuel actually tells him that God has removed the kingdom from you. You don't even qualify. He found someone better. He had to go to a shepherd field to find someone better than you. How's that? David said, uh, uh, or here we are, he says, uh, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. People with purpose will get reported. It'll, it, it will make its way. We said this a few weeks ago. When you live with purpose, you don't have to promote yourself. They come find you. He's out in the field, not even invited to the party. Prophet Samuel says, we're not leaving until we, you, you must have another son. They come get him. And even after he's anointed, where does he go? He goes right back to the pasture. Oil dripping off of his head, down his body, right back to the sheep, right back where he came from. Because unless God gives you specifics on where to go here, you, you, go, you don't go forward, you go back. 
Well, I got to go back. No, you go back to the last thing God told you to do. Just be faithful where he's placed you. Even when he's given you a vision, even when he's shown you your future, you go back to the last thing he told you to do. And what, what happens there? They come find him. We need someone skillful in heart playing because our king is, is losing it. He's over here. I mean, his mind is rattled. We've got to find someone that can play some great music. Uh, yeah, by the way, there's a shepherd boy out in Bethlehem watching sheep, and he's skilled on the harp. Send for him. They will send for you. When you live with purpose and you allow God to promote you, they will send for you. You don't have to put your plaster all out. You don't have to make a poster with all your skills on it. You don't have to uh, go before all these people. You just let God promote you. And here, once again, showing up serving cheese. And he ends up before King Saul. Again. Ends up right before King Saul. So we're recognizing, first off, that when we have purpose or when we have a a perspective that purpose gives us, it allows us to live with a certain restraint. There are certain things you won't do. And so many times we satisfy ourselves in the moments while compromising our future. But people with vision, they will take inventory in their life and they'll start taking a look and saying, "Okay, what what does not what will compromise my effectiveness, what could contradict my purpose in the future? And they eliminate those things. We've got to be a people that lives with restraint, not because you were told to do it. I was I was talking with an individual a few weeks ago, um, and the conversation came up about drinking alcohol. And this was a church person. This was actually a, a church pastor. And um, for some reason, this conversation keeps elevating and keep coming up. And um, so he was just asking, you know, where our church stands. I said, well, you know, uh, it, it's, it's pretty simple. If, if you want to serve and be a part of the vision of Anchor Faith Church, we ask that you refrain from drinking alcohol. Publicly, personally, privately. I mean, we can have all these conversations uh, and, and, and this is just where we're at. This is just, and, and so the individual said, but here's the problem I have with it. Cause this, he's on staff somewhere and, and he's been having some issues with his team members. And so uh, uh, he, he said, you know, the problem I have is you can't back that up scripturally. You can't back that up with the Bible. I said, okay, well, there was an individual that came to Jesus, the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And essentially what he's asking is, what must I do to be a part of your purpose? You keep talking about this eternal life stuff. You keep talking about uh, uh, your kingdom. What, What do I need to do so I can be a part of that? I want to be a part of your cause. So your purpose should be so exciting that other people want to join and get hooked up with it. And so what does Jesus say? He says, well, you got to obey the law, obey the commandments. Oh, y'all kept those from my childhood. Now, we've got biblical, biblical uh, backing for those. That's easy. Honor your father and mother. I mean, he's referring to the commandments. He's referring to the law that at that time, that was their Bible. Keep these commands. I've done that from my childhood. What does Jesus say? Great. Come on. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. He says, okay, well, go. He said, there's one thing you lack. Out of all the things you've kept, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And I told this pastor, I said, I cannot find any biblical backing for his request to to tell him to go and sell all that he has and give it to the poor. I can't find it in Scripture. But yet he asked that of the man. I said, essentially, what we're asking people to do is that our cause and our purpose of this church is so worth connecting with and so being a part of that I'm willing to lay down whatever your standard, whatever your principle, whatever it is that you feel contradicts and compromises your vision. 
I'm willing to not do it to be a part of what God is doing at Anchor Faith Church. That's simply where it lies. I don't need biblical backing to tell people. I'm not talking about sin. Because ultimately, if you just want to ask that question, there are certain things that the Bible does not cover for alcohol. In fact, Paul even tells Timothy to drink a little wine to take care of a, a, a symptom, an infirmity in his body. Jesus turned water into wine. So we're not having conversations about drinking alcohol. I'm having a conversation about purpose. And the purpose of this church is too uh, weighty for us to be compromised because the one drink. I I just cannot, as a pastor, have a conversation with with a married couple where the husband is bound and, 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 and stuck in it. And it's tearing their family apart, tearing their finances apart, tearing their children apart, ripping their marriage apart. They're on the verge of losing everything and, and have to have that conversation with this couple and then turn around and condone it with another individual that says that they can exercise it. I'm not going to have that conversation. Not if you're going to serve and be a representative of Anchor Faith Church. Because in today's culture, 2018, alcohol only has a negative connotation with it. Period. Period. I don't care if you drink one drink every now and then. If, if, if it is seen, people do not know that. They, they don't assume that. <laughs> oh, well, well, the day we live in is way beyond that. People don't assume that. So you want to strum a guitar up here, but, but want to be, and it's just not going to happen. Now, we know that there are standards for people that are in ministry, in positions of ministry. And so it's just simply what we ask. And so what's that? That's restraint. That's living with restraint. And we just believe in the vision. And I know a lot of people aren't excited about that. And I know, I know a lot of people would rather indulge their, their selfish activity rather than let something go to be a part of the cause of Christ. But that's, that's why Jesus asked him to sell all he had. He's not trying to make the guy poor. He's trying to say, look, here's, here's the thing, buddy. Here's the problem. Uh, the people that have followed me have let go of everything to be a part of this purpose and to be a part of this cause. And when the time comes that their life is asked of them, they're going to need to be willing to lay that down. So if you can't lay down your riches and your wealth, you sure won't lay down your life. He's trying to show him that the culture of the kingdom, the thing that he says he's one of he, he's the one that approached him. How do I inherit eternal life? He's the one that said that. He said, look, if you want to be a part of this cause, you're going to have to be able to lay down anything. And everything, including your own life. And every single one of his disciples, it's, disciples, it's recorded in the, in, in the word or in history that they lost their life for the cause of Christ. Every single one. Boiled in oil. Heads cut off. Crucified just as Jesus was. And every single one of them was willing to take it all the way down for the cause of Christ. Because Jesus raised them and taught them, you abandon all to follow me. He said, you will leave father, you will leave mother, you will leave brother, you will leave sister, you will leave home, you will leave comfortability, you will leave familiarity. You will lay down everything to follow this cause. And in in today's day and age, the last thing we need is more casualness in the kingdom of God. We do things so casually. We do things so nonchalantly, and we're always trying to bring the standards down a little bit more to reach us at what culture says you should do. I mean, I remember the day when it didn't matter if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night. It didn't matter if it was a Tuesday night prayer service. I I remember the first time I saw my pastor growing up in jeans. I didn't even know he owned a pair of jeans. So to be to even be wearing this, which this is actually dressed up compared to some some other places. But it's not about dress. It's about your heart. Jesus isn't trying to be religious with this. 
Restraint isn't about religion. Restraint is about purpose. And when you live with vision, you say, you know what? There is something that I'm trying to attain to that is greater than what I'm indulging in right now. And I'm going to let this go now so I can achieve that later. But too many of us want to have the excitement and the, and the fun and the enjoyment now and compromise the future. Perspective gives you restraint. It just does. You'll wake up at a different time. You'll hang around different people. You'll indulge in different things. Because you live with purpose. I think people with purpose should look different. Not just something different on the inside. But I believe that, 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 that what they feel so strongly about in their heart should produce something different in their lives. Think about what David could have said in this moment. But didn't. He continues to go on now with King Saul. Didn't mean to get all, make the room all quiet. It's still good. Amen. I was telling someone just this past weekend that sometimes the, the quietest ones are the ones that are getting it the most. Is they're processing it on the inside. And, and God's dealing, and I know that's, that's what he does in church. He, he will deal with your stuff. Only to make you stronger and only to make you better. So many times we have allowed this mentality that God is just trying to dumb us down and he's just trying to put us in this stronghold and and pigeonhole us and you will do. He doesn't do that. I mean, today the NFL passed this thing about uh, the NFL players must stand during the, the national anthem when it's being sung. You are not allowed to kneel. And they made a post about it on social media. I just love reading people's comments. I just, it just gets me, gets me going. And some of the weirdest comments. One person said, so much for a free nation. Another one said, so much for freedom of speech. Do you recognize that you just made a comment by freedom of speech? That you can comment anything you want in this section here. Blows my mind. It just it it, it it blows my mind where we have come as a society. Freedom. I, God showed me this over the weekend. I was studying something else, and He said the power of the cross is that we are now able to do something by choice rather than by force. Before you were in the kingdom and before Jesus laid his life down for you, you had to live according to darkness. You had no choice. As good as you wanted to be, as, as, as your, your best intentions and your best efforts meant nothing without what God wants to do on the inside and in your heart. You were forced to live that way. Now, now. As a, result, as a result of being in the kingdom, God doesn't force you to live the other way. You now have the choice to live his way. And the power of the cross is that we can now live by choice what we once had to do by force. The choice is the freedom. You don't have to. I mean, that's what some of the smart people were saying. Well, you don't have to play NFL and make millions of dollars. You can choose a different occupation. You don't have to live in America and be thankful for all the people that sacrifice. That's all it's about. And we don't talk about why anybody's kneeling. We just talk about the fact that they're kneeling. Why? Because we chose a very inaccurate way to get a message across. Right, Daryl? Who's that helping? And I watched the live interview roger goodell announcing what they were doing but they didn't nobody talks about what he said for five minutes before that about the, how the nfl is helping to change the situation for the very reason that someone started kneeling in the first place they're actually funding it with their paycheck not just their mouth 
They've got other owners. The NFL is trying to help the cause of social injustice. It is an issue, but we cannot just do it however we want and think we're just going to get a message across because it stands out. So the, the freedom is, is that you get to choose. Nobody's making you do anything. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. When we live by restraint because of the purpose that is ahead of us, that is a choice of yours. That's not, you're not being forced to do this. David wasn't forced to hold his tongue with his brother. But because of the purpose he had ahead of him, he lived with restraint. We move on here. Your servant, verse 34, used to keep his father's sheep. Uh, Let's go up to verse 33. We missed this. Verse 33. And Saul said to David, so now he's made it to King Saul. You are not able to go against this Philistine. You will have plenty of you are not able, guys. They will come out of the woodwork. You are not able. What's he wanting to do? He's wanting to go fight the giant. And King Saul saying, no, 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 you are not able. To go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth. What's he start doing? Starts pulling out who he is. See, people don't have the ability to speak to your future. Only God does. And if anybody does speak to your future, it's because God put those words in them. But most people will point out your past and your present. So Eliab points out his past. Why don't you go back with the sheep? King Saul points out the present. You are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. He's saying these two don't add up. But David said to Saul, watch this. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Mm, there's so much here. Where does David go? He goes right back to the pasture where he came from. And see, people disregard your pasture, your past. Your past. People disregard where you've been. Because the pasture is where you do things and where God shows you things that no one else sees. He goes right back to the pasture. And he says, let me tell you something about that pasture. No one was looking, so I wouldn't expect you to know this. It didn't make the headlines. I didn't put it on an Instagram story, so I wouldn't expect you to know the battle that I fought out there. I didn't blast it on Facebook for everybody to know about. It's what God did for me. Well, let me tell you what he did for me. There was a lion out there. And I killed it with my bare hands. There was a bear. Out there. And the Lord delivered me. See, when you have purpose in your future, you have perspective of your past. When you have purpose in your future, you gain a perspective of your past. The battles that no one knows you're fighting. The tears that you've cried on your pillow at night and no one was around to console you. The struggles that you have endured internally, but put on a bold face externally. The challenges that came when no one was watching. It wasn't on the highlight reel. See, see, if we don't fight the battles when no one's looking, we won't be prepared to fight the ones when everyone's watching. There are some people in this room that you have a pasture, a pasture. 
And there's battles that you fought and nobody knows. Probably maybe even the person next to you doesn't even know the struggles that you've been through. And the challenges that you've faced. And you thought, what is the point? Because in the moment, in the moment, I mean, think about David. He's fighting this lion all by himself. No one to come to his rescue. Not one of those sheep got up and said, here, I'll help you. You've been spending all this time watching us. We'll, we'll, try, to, we'll try to defend you. No, they're probably off running. David's doing his job to fight this lion. And then he fights him and he kills him. And he looks around and he's like, nobody even saw it. Nobody saw it. The bear comes out of the woods, out of nowhere. Obscurity. We talked about that. Nobody's watching. Nobody's looking. Nobody sees. No one to rejoice with him. You ever fought a battle on your own and there wasn't even anybody else to celebrate with you? So that's why later on when David was, was uh, in that battle and, and they got overtaken and even his own people turned against him, that's why he was able to encourage himself in the Lord. Because he had had moments that where his life was on the line and the very thing that he was called to protect was on the line. And he fought it and he overcame and he didn't need anybody in his corner. He didn't need anybody on his side. He didn't need anybody to show up to to help defend him and come to his rescue. He did it all by himself. And there's somebody in this room tonight that you have a pasture and you have fought lions and you have fought bears. And you've wondered, what is this even all about? And no one's even here. No one even cares. And no one even saw it. And and no one would even uh, believe me even if I told them that I battled this struggle. And no one would even believe me if they knew that I was crying at night and nobody would even believe me if I told him all the stuff that was coming against me but God is going to use that battle he's going to use that lion he's going to use that bear to prove to you that there's a battle coming against you later on when everybody's watching and everybody will see the glory of the Lord that's perspective The struggles you're in right now, the challenges that you're facing you, and nobody even knows, God will use them. Because there's going to come a Goliath. You think the lion's bad. You think the bear's bad. And they're not trained for war. They don't have the instincts to take you out. And you should have lost that battle. But you're still here. You should have been taken. The thing that you have been given guard over, it should have been compromised like those sheep. But you're standing. One day God's going to bring you before the king and you're going to be able to look back. And here's the thing about perspective. Many times you don't know what God has brought you through until he's brought you through it. You didn't know how he would use it. You didn't know what he was doing. You didn't know his plan. But the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, fight the lion. It doesn't matter if no one's looking. Fight the bear. It doesn't matter if anybody's with you. Fight those giants. Fight those battles today in obscurity so that God can use you where everyone will see. And you will deliver many through that battle. I'm speaking that over your life right now, that you will deliver many through the battles that are coming up. If you will live with restraint, if you will allow purpose to take over your life, if you will take on the perspective that says, what I've been through has only prepared me, devil, thank you for the lion. Just start thanking the devil. Just start saying, thank you, devil, for bringing that bear because you only confirmed that I'm where I'm supposed to be. Every challenge and every enemy that he brought you and every, every trial, every struggle, every trouble that he brought you through, he didn't know what he was doing. He was only confirming that your God is for you and not against you. <laughs> Thank him for the lion. Because there's a day you're going to need to use that story to stand before a much bigger giant. There's a day you're going to need to use the story of the bear stand before Goliath and what you do when no one is looking will prepare you 
for what God has in store, and it'll be on display. And you won't have to promote it. You won't have to look for it. They will send for you. But when we despise the pasture, you don't just lose the pasture. You lose the preparation and the perspective that the pasture brings. Could you, because look, he doesn't bring the lion and the bear up to Eliab. You know what I did for you? You know, while I was out there in the field and you guys forgot me, you know what I was doing out there? Yeah, you're just cleaning up poop. Let me tell you what I was doing. You ever killed a lion? He didn't go around to all the other military guys and say, who's killed a bear? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. Okay. He just said, is there not a cause? But when he got before King Saul, he said, let me tell you what God's done in my life. And I wonder if as he was going, as he was walking to King Saul, I wonder if he was thinking, wait a minute. The lion. When I killed that lion, yeah, that, that was my preparation. That's what I'll tell King Saul. See, he didn't even realize it. He just put it in his back pocket. He didn't run home telling his dad, hey, I killed a lion, I killed a lion. Nobody knows. But you'll be able to pull that story. You'll be able to pull that testimony. You'll be able to pull that victory out. I know there's people all across this room. Nobody knows when the bank account was empty. Nobody knows when your best friend that you thought you could trust and rely on left you. Nobody knows what it felt like when your marriage went through that struggle and that trial and you just had to put on a brave face. Nobody knows. There's stories all across this room. Nobody knows what it was like when your child passed, when you miscarried, when you... Nobody knows. God does. And I can tell you today that it won't go without purpose. But God will use it for his glory. If God can take Joseph from a pit through a prison to a palace, he can take you from the pasture. He can use your pasture, your pasture for his glory.